Welcome to the Wednesday Bible Study, and uh, so thankful that you are here. And uh, once again, during this pandemic, we are in an empty studio. Uh, and I just want all the guys that are normally here, and uh, if you're watching this right now or you're, you're catching this uh, on a podcast archive or maybe I've texted it to you, I want you to know that I really, really, really miss our time together uh, in the room. And, and I hope you're getting these messages as we walk through the Gospel of John. Man, there's a lot that that God is teaching us. Um, and, and of course, if you hey, check in, guys, let me know how you're doing. Rick at rickandbubba.com uh, is my email. I'd love to hear from the guys that are normally in the room. Let me know that you're getting these. Let me know how you're doing. Let me know how I can pray for you. Uh, and so uh, just, just really miss that fellowship. For the rest of you that normally uh, watch this or listen to it, or maybe you're new, maybe the, uh, the quarantine has given you access to this Bible study for the first time, and you're part of, uh, of people who are joining us, uh, you can certainly tell. You know, we talk about during this time of uncertainty, you know, the Holy Bible is selling at record paces again. Uh, and I look at the Bible studies that we're doing here. Our number numbers have, have doubled and, and sometimes even more than doubled. Uh, I know that has a lot to do with people's uncertainty, but also the fact that people have more time on their hands. And we know we added about 50 guys uh, to watching and listening who are normally here in the room. So uh, we are in the Gospel of John. I talked about last week. Uh, I talked about how uh, in God's providence, we, we started kind of awkwardly in August going through the Gospel of John, having no idea uh, where we would be in the Gospel of John when we reached the Passion Week, when we reached Holy Week, uh, when Jesus Christ would start his journey uh, to the cross and ultimately pay the debt for our sins, uh, and then on Sunday uh, defeat eternal death by, by resurrecting himself from the dead, had no idea that we would be exactly and John's documentation of this historical event. And when I say historical, this is the most important week in the history of the world. Everything changes this week. And uh, it is interesting that it's also a time when, you know, in our world, and especially in our country, uh, in our country, we're talking about this may be a week of some of the greatest uncertainty uh, in this pandemic. Uh, well, remember what we talked about last week with the disciples uh, there's a lot of analogy to what we're going through. Remember, Jesus was telling them, we talked about it last week, Jesus is trying to tell them that they don't understand what's about to happen and that he is going to go to the cross. And when he's hanging there on the cross, there's going to be a, a time of complete despair. And you're going to think hopelessness because they didn't understand the crucifixion. Uh, and, and you're going to think this is it. It can't get any worse than this. But then... When you see me after the resurrection, that sorrow will turn to joy. Uh, you'll also uh, go from the, the worst moment to your greatest moment of elation and joy. May that be the case in what we're going through now. And I was going back and forth with one of our regular members of the class, and he and I were talking about so many times people don't seem to understand that when we're going through times that we're going through now, uh, you always see two things in play. God's wrath that is being poured out on a fallen creation but also God's mercy at all that he's accomplishing during this. God's wrath and mercy, mercy working together in perfect balance. Uh, and then uh, he, he made this statement a minute ago before we started the Bible study, and he's 100% right. There is no greater example of God's wrath and God's mercy working together at the same time than the crucifixion. I mean, the crucifixion, there it is. God's wrath being poured out on sin and ultimately poured out on himself, but at the same time, the fact that it's being poured out on his son instead of us, 
God's wrath and God's mercy all working at the same time. So we're going to see um, how far we get today. Uh, we're going we're gonna to definitely get 18 in today, and this is Jesus being betrayed and arrested and, uh, and going before Pilate. Uh, if time allows, we may get into the actual crucifixion today. If it doesn't, uh, we'll come back after uh, Easter Sunday, and we'll talk about that next Wednesday, uh, and then we'll finish out uh, the book of John. One other thing I'd love to get some feedback from you, because uh, who knows how much longer we'll be in this for format, rick at rickandbubba.com. I know a lot of you have been with us a long time. We go through different books that people have written. We've also gone through, as we're doing now, expository teaching of just books of the Bible. Uh, I have an opportunity to, to shift back into a book that I've read on a topic we've talked about a lot, and I really love it. But also, I've got ideas, maybe the next book or books of the Bible that we would go through. Could you just give me some feedback on that? Rick at rickandbubba.com. Let me hear from you. Uh, would you like us to go back into uh, some, some commentary or a book that somebody's written on a topic? Or, or, or do you want me to get back into another book of the Bible? Because we're going to be done with the Gospel of John here in just a few weeks. So just give me your feedback on that. I, I'd love to, to hear that. All right, so let's... Um, Let's open up in a word of prayer jump right into John chapter 18 on the most important week in the history of the world. Lord Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you. Our gratitude, no way, no words to express uh, the debt that we owe, and it is a debt that we can never pay. Thank you for coming to us when we could not come to you. Thank you, uh, Lord, for coming here and taking the wrath that was due every single one of us. Lord, forgive me that I nailed you to the cross. And forgive me for the times in my life that I continue to take the grace that you've afforded me and not take it seriously or, on the worst case, abuse it. Lord, I know that my redemption is free, uh, but, but, uh, but, but I know that it's not cheap. Uh, it came at an incredible cost. Thank you for lowering yourself to become uh, the perfect sacrifice, the, 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 the meek and lowly lamb that was laid down, the perfect lamb of God, to once and for all deliver us from the curse and the pandemic of sin. And Lord, may we take this um, historical event and walk through it today and learn everything you're trying to teach us. And Lord, I pray for those that have never been redeemed or maybe they have a false uh, version of redemption, that they'll be confronted with you in, in, in a mighty way this week. Uh, we ask that you deliver us from the pandemic, but, but not before... You want to deliver us. Your will be done. And may we learn everything that you're teaching. In the time of Jesus, we, in the name of Jesus, and in the time of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, as we are sitting here, continuing in the, in the year of our Lord. So let's go to 18. So here's what's happening. And it starts out by saying, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kindred Valley, uh, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now, this is pretty straightforward, but when he says, uh, after Jesus had spoken these words, really what the Bible is saying here, what John is saying is, not just the last thing that we learned, you really can look at John 14, 15, 16, and 17, because Jesus had a lot to say when he went from the hour is coming, and then he shifts to the hour is at hand. So all those things that Jesus has been trying to say to prepare his disciples for what's now about to happen on the most important week in the history of the world, he now has said all those things. So now he takes them and he heads to the garden. Now, this is a garden we're going to find out that they were very acquainted with. Uh, we know the, some of the other Gospels, John does not, calls it uh, its proper name, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, Gethsemane actually means oil press. 
so, so this is a, t- a place where they spent a lot of time together, and it is secluded, uh, and it is well known to the disciples. And we'll talk about uh, uh, some of the uh, things that go along with that historically, too, like in verse 2. Now, Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Ju- Jesus often met there with his disciples. So that confirms that. Uh, Jesus took them there often. If you want to make some references, remember what we said. Now more than ever, got to take notes, got to take notes. So so take your. hopefully you're taking notes. Write down when we talk about that this was a garden that the disciples and Jesus were acquainted with. Write down Luke 21, verse 37. And Luke also talks about this a little more in chapter 22, verse 39. So Luke 21, 37, and Luke 22, 39. Jesus would usually withdraw to Bethany, um, you know, even after he'd been to the garden, but Jewish law for Passover, and you know, I just got a text earlier from one of my friends in Israel uh, saying, and this was hours ago, that the Passover uh, process was about to begin in Israel uh, this week, and how awesome is that? But anyway, so because of the Passover, uh, Jews were required to stay in the extended city limits. I, where in America, we kind of call it the, the Jerusalem metro area. They were required to stay there. Uh, Bethany did not meet the criteria of being in the Jerusalem metro area as required by Jewish law. Once again, Jesus, being a good Jew, uh, is staying in the garden and is going to stay there overnight because that did meet the requirement of the extended city limits of Jerusalem. Uh, Judas knew the place, and he also knew, uh, because he was familiar with its seclusion, he also knew that this garden would also be the perfect place for the arrest. Uh, it, it was set up perfectly for that because you didn't have, and we'll talk about this in a minute, you didn't have the, the concern that the, a mob scene might take place because he knew what it was like when Jesus took the disciples there. Uh, so Judas, having uh, gathered together a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priest and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. So we see John saying that um, uh, now one of the things you'll find in the Gospel of John, it's the reason why you need to always read all four Gospel accounts of all these historic events. John, being the the last Gospel, John adds some details that the other Gospels don't, uh, and one of them is he's the first one that says that there's a detachment of Roman soldiers that are coming with the, the priest, the Pharisees, and their servants, there's also some soldiers that are coming. Now, this is likely the concern that I just mentioned, uh, that the chief priests, they knew that Jesus had some followers. They didn't know how many. They didn't know what the situation might be, and they didn't know how this arrest was going to go. So they brought the soldiers, the Roman soldiers, for mob control or just in case trouble broke out. Uh, but John's the, the only one that tells us that took place, and you see he's adding some other details as well. So, uh, so let's go to four. Uh, now we go to, to four. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen, make a note of God's providence there. Uh, Jesus, knowing all that would happen, uh, came forward and said to them, the Pharisees, the chief priests, and the, the Roman soldiers, uh, whom do you seek? Uh, now all four Gospels present Jesus as knowing what was going to happen. They all cover this. Uh, this is making sure that we know Jesus is not a lowly martyr. Now, if you don't take anything else away from where we're going in these next two chapters, because I think it applies to what we're going through now, 
it applies to this historical event that we're remembering. It applies to all of it. Is that you know Steve Farrar uh, said it. I was he's also doing a Bible study. I would suggest you go there. He's doing a special uh, Bible study. He's interrupted his series in Psalms, and he's just doing several weeks on the pandemic and everything that's going on. And he said it best, and you're going to see this in Scripture. I think he even references this that things are not out of control. They're not out of control here in this historical moment, and they're not out of control now. They're not out of control. They're under God's control. Okay, you got to understand that. And Jesus shows this right now. He's letting you know he's not some martyr at the mercies of what might happen. Uh, he's actually completely in the will of God. It will be fulfilled, and, and, and he will do exactly uh, what, uh, what the Father sent him to do. He's obedient, and he is in control completely. He even knows they're coming, and he even knows what they're going to do, and he walks out and says, who are you looking for? And, and this gets even better. So they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to, to them, I am he. You, you got me. And now let's look what it says in 6, and then we'll unpack this. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back, and then they fell to the ground. Now, I, I heard my pastor reference this uh, last Sunday, and he and I have talked about this, and I've talked about this even in, in this Bible study. To me, if you're coming to get Jesus and you don't believe in his deity, isn't this kind of a moment for you that when he says, I am he, the power of that statement made you draw back uncontrollably and some of them even fall down? It seems like in that moment, I might have been like, hmm, uh, maybe this is not the way to go. Uh, so let's unpack this a little bit because uh, there's a lot to be said here that I personally had not ever thought about before. That part I've always kind of thought about, but there's some deeper stuff here that's really cool. John doesn't talk about that there's any kiss that takes place, you know, the betrayal of a kiss. John doesn't document that. It may be that he he knows we already know that because the, the other Gospels have already talked about that. But this is likely that moment where this takes place uh, historically. Uh, in uh, Isaiah 40, uh, if you look at Isaiah chapter 40, all, through, all the way through chapter 55, God refers to himself as what? I, I am, I. Uh, you, know, he, he, you, know, who, you know, think about Moses. Now, who am I supposed to say sent me? I, I, just tell him I am. I have always been. I am. And so many uh, scholars look at this and say that when Jesus says this, this statement, um, it could be that this is God himself referring to a name that he refers to himself all the time. This is almost like, you know, hey, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, and certainly he's saying, well, I am he, but the power of, of fully man, but fully God saying, I am, you know, that's one of God's names. Okay, this, this answers this for a lot of you, and I get email about this sometimes. Who created God? That'd be nobody, no one, nothing. I am I am the beginning. I, I, I am the beginning and the end. I have always been. So where does this all begin? Well, it begins with him. It's him. I am. Who are you? I am. I have always been. So, And we know that Jesus has made it clear that he said before Abraham, I am. So uh, the, there's lots of people studying this. Says this is bigger than Jesus just you know, giving them a confirmation that I'm the guy you're looking for. He's also stating uh, his deity. I am he. And, and it may be that the power of him saying that was so powerful, there's nothing they could do about it. It just knocked them down. But again, what, what, what a wake-up call you would, you would think this would be. Uh, but this shows how blind we can be when we 
can be passionately wrong about something. All right, so let's go to 7 now through 9. So he asked them, whom do you seek? He's asking them again. And they said again, uh, Jesus of Nazareth. And I think it's interesting that I've asked you this. You've said this same answer. I said I am he. It's knocked you down. I guess everybody from being knocked down is, is so freaked out that he says, let's reset this again. Now, who are you coming after? Uh, and they just said it again like they have uh, didn't say it before. And Jesus acknowledges this in 8. Jesus answers, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. Now, we'll land there for a minute. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you have given me I have lost not one. Now, we talked about that last week. We talked about that last week. For those you've given me, I haven't lost one. So Jesus is clarifying who he is, but at the same time, he's saying there is no need to arrest the disciples. Now, this is a big statement here. It's, it's, it's even bigger uh, than, than their protection. Uh, this, this, is, this is a much bigger statement. He's protecting them now, okay? Oh, this is good. This, this is for all of us. It has the present meaning. Jesus says, I'm the guy you're looking for. Have you ever been in this position? Sadly, and sometimes it wasn't very, very good positions, but I have been in positions before where I've said, look, don't worry about filling the blank. Deal with me. I'm the person you need to deal with. Okay? And to leave them alone. And, and Jesus is doing this, but it's bigger than what's happening, happening presently. Now, we already know he's fulfilling what he said. Uh, I'm not going to let anything happen to them yet. Okay, because now when I get off the other side of the resurrection, I'm going to give them 40 days of preparing, like I've already mentioned, that ultimately they are going to take the brunt of persecution because I'm going to be returned to my glory. We talked about that last week, and now you'll carry it out. But right now, he says, I'm going to protect them from you, but you know what he's also saying? I'm ultimately going to protect them from sin and death. I'm protecting them from much more than just you. And let me tell you this, and let me reassure you this. Jesus may or may not protect you in your will the way you see the things that are going on right now. But if you've been redeemed by Jesus Christ and you're remembering the greatest week in the history of the world, he went to the cross and ultimately he has freed you from any pandemic because even if the the world kills you, you're going to live forever. Okay? Yet so shall you live. So yes, He's saying he's going to protect them in this moment, but ultimately he's about to protect them for eternity. And if that didn't fire you up, there's something wrong with you. All right, so here we go. So let's move on. So we get into verse 10 and 11 now. Uh, then Simon Peter, one of my favorite moments in the Bible, which doesn't say a whole lot about me, I'm sure, but I bet, it's, I bet I'm not the only one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name is Malchus. Now, I want you to know that, that I, I like that John, John is the only person that identifies Peter and Malchus. The other Gospels, even when they mention this, they'll just say that, that one of the disciples cut off some guy's ear. But John is giving us more details. So Jesus says to Peter, Hey, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Easy, Peter. You, see, here's this proof. You don't know what I've been trying to tell you. I've been trying to tell you this. Now, there's a lot to unpack here. First of all, we do find out what the, the servant's name is. This is going to come around again in a moment that John documents something else about Malchus that is going to give us a moment of humor. 
uh, in, a, in the middle of some sadness coming up in a minute, but I, I think you'll like it. But anyway, so John lets us know that it is Peter with, with the sword. Now, keep in mind, when they say sword, probably a fisherman what, don't, don't picture that, that Peter was carrying some big, long, you know, he pulls out some big, long sword. It was likely more, you know, he carried it off to his side. It was more like a dagger. Probably wasn't very long. He probably took it. And as we said, Peter never intended to cut off the ear of the high priest's servant. He missed. He, clum, he was kind of clumsy and he lunged at him and ended up just cutting off the ear. He's trying to slice his throat and trying to kill him because he thinks now, here's the moment I've been waiting on. This is where Messiah is going to start overthrowing all the authorities, and he's about to, He's. I've already seen him knock people down. We're about to, hey, Peter is saying, I've seen what he can do. We're not going to lose this fight. I'm in. And you know what? I guess, hey, that may be time for me to go. I, no way I'm going to let him be arrested because Peter has been saying this all along that he's not going to let Jesus be harmed when Jesus keeps saying, no, no, I'm going to allow myself to be harmed and you don't get it. Now, how many times have we act, acted like we knew things about Jesus, but we don't really know the full deal? Maybe you don't understand redemption. Maybe you don't understand repentance, but you keep talking like you do. And so, and so what Jesus is saying is he's clarifying, you need to put that up and I, that is not what we're doing right now. You didn't understand my instructions. And I think, sadly, a lot of us have that problem. You know, we, we don't really understand what Jesus has called us to. We don't really understand what redemption looks like. We don't really understand the power of the gospel while acting like we do. I was that person. I thought I knew everything about the gospel, but it hadn't changed me. And so here's Peter. Now, he's going to be different after the resurrection, but right now Peter is clumsy and he's wrong and he, and, and Jesus has to set him straight. And, and, but then it gets into this. This is a great one here. He says to Peter, shall I not drink the cup that the father has given me? Now we all know where this line comes from, right? See, see, John is not documenting the moment where Jesus is sweating blood and, and is and asking the father if there's another way and he let this cup pass from me. And the cup that, that Jesus is talking about in the other Gospels is the cup of God's wrath. You know, God the Father is, he must, he must, he's a just God. He must pour his wrath out on sin. And, and Jesus knows that he's going to take the wrath that was really due you and due me. And, and it's a stressful time for the 100% man side of him because the suffering is going to be real. And the wrath of God being poured out is going to be real. And so Jesus realizes that the God the Father says, no, the cup will not pass. And then Jesus is now resolute to the cross. So he looks to Peter and says, look, stop trying to stop what's going on. I'm not asking anyone to deliver me from this. What are you saying? Am I not going to drink the cup that I've come here? Am I not going to fulfill the Father's will? And Peter, you don't need to get in the way of it. And so we know that, um, and if you want to find the other documentations of this and the other Gospels, because uh, they all four record uh, this incident with Peter, but they just don't name him. John names him. Uh, Matthew 26, 51-52, Mark 14, uh, verse 47, and Luke, the great historian, uh, 22, 49-51. They all let us know what happens here, but they don't tell us who it is, and they certainly don't name uh, the high priest servant. You know, John and Peter, which we'll get into in a minute, they were very close. It could be that um, uh, the others 
didn't you know that didn't didn't want to say what his name was. I don't know why, but for but John does give us that clarification. Maybe they all assumed that everyone knows, and maybe John got to the point. He says, "So y'all don't know who it was? It was actually Peter. I, I know who it was." So, so we'll see. Uh, we don't know why, but we do get the information for John. So, so here's what happens next. So now, and by the way, if you want to see Jesus praying about the cup passing, that's Matthew 26, uh, verse 39 and verse 42. You can go to the Gospel of Matthew. And, and there's that moment, you know, where you see Jesus, um, you know, so much stress that his capillaries are bursting and that his sweat now is mixed with blood. And, and it has nothing to do with the suffering he's going to do on the, on the physical cross. That's horrible. But this stress is coming from the fact that he's got to take God's wrath. Like I said before, that big tidal wave is going to hit Jesus and not hit us. Praise his holy name. This is the most important week in the history of the world. Please, I'm begging you. Don't get caught up in rabbits and eggs and chicks, please. I'm not saying that those, you can't go out and have some fun with your children if anybody allows you to get anywhere near anybody, but please don't let that be all you take away from this. The, the, the secular side of all this is, is if you keep it in proper balance, that's between you and the Lord. But please, this is bigger than a chocolate bunny. It's a really big deal. Have you been redeemed? It's big. And it's great news. So now let's talk about um, uh, what happens next. So we go to verses 12 through 14. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. Uh, we also know that Jesus put uh, Malchus's ear back on. That's in there too. Uh, when he struck the high priest's servant and cut off his ear, uh, J- Jesus did take the ear and put it back on, and they all let us know that too, which again, that had to be a big moment for Malchus. Had to be a big moment for Malchus. Hey, my ear just got cut off by a dagger. Some guy tried to cut my throat, cut my ear off. This guy took my ear off the ground, picked it up, put it back on my head. That's big. Okay, so I, I don't know if he, that guy stands there. I know that we've had some people assume that, you know, what happened to Malchus after that? But I've got something interesting coming up later, uh, or John does, and I'm going to tell you about it. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that uh, it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. So John is just identifying. We're going to go through a process here. Um, he's the only one, by the way, again, that John r- r- reports that Jesus is going to spend some time before Annas uh, before he gets to Caiaphas. Now, there's a reason for that. Uh, who, who is Honest? Who is this guy? We hear the father-in-law part of Caiaphas, but it's, there's more than that. Honest was the high priest before Caiaphas. Uh, for some reason, when Pilate and, the, and, and his regime came in and took over and, and the new emperor took over, uh, he, he was not a fan of, all, of, of Honest for some reason, and he replaced him. Uh, with Caiaphas, so the reason why Annas has got, so he's got, you know, he doesn't, ha- he doesn't have the authorities. We'll find out in a minute that, that only Caiaphas has, but he's almost like high priest emeritus. You know, there's a certain respect, and let's let Annas, uh, let's let him kind of vet this out a little bit. Okay, so that is going to take place, and we will see that. Uh, but only John tells us about this stop on the way uh, to Caiaphas, and eventually to Pilate. Um, also, we know that. Um, these are the Jewish authorities that are arresting Jesus. That's why you're going to see him go before these different former high priests and then Caiaphas, the current high priest, because the Romans really are not arresting Jesus yet. Uh, 
The, the, the Romans are just, they're just, they, they sent a, a dispatch of soldiers just so trouble wouldn't break out. But they're not the ones who are arresting him because he hasn't broken any law concerning the Romans. Now, you, you know, the Jewish leadership is trying to convince Pilate that he will or that he's dangerous, and we'll get to that. But right now, this is totally uh, the, uh, the, the high priest and the, the leadership of the Jewish uh, community. Uh, so, so Caiaphas uh, will take the leading role. And, um, and, and remember, he's credited, remember him making that comment when everybody was talking about Jesus and his followers and picking up some momentum, and everybody's asking, what can we do about it? Should we just let it go? It'll fade out. And it was Caiaphas that said, well, look, it's better that we kill one guy uh, than, than it end up being a problem for, for all of us. And so uh, John is reminding us of that. So now we get to the part of, of Peter, and I know this part breaks our heart, but remember this. This is not how Peter finished. Okay, it, look, we all have times throughout our life that we struggle, but what you need to be concentrating on on the greatest week in the history of the world is how are you going to finish your life? But at first, we have to see, you know, like parts of our own life that are that are that where we we deny Jesus. I certainly have done it in my life. Sad, I'm embarrassed of it, but I certainly have done it. Maybe not always with my words, but clearly with my actions. So let's get into Peter's first denial of Jesus as Jesus predicted. Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. We'll unpack who we think that is. We think that's John. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest, but Peter stood outside the door. Uh, so we're going to get into this. So what happened then is the, the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. Okay. So let, let's talk about this for a minute. What's going on right now? So we think this is this is honest, and we'll get confirmation here in a minute. But we can't figure out that John does not name himself, though he's given us details about so many other people. First of all, that's in John's style. John uh, often will talk about in great detail other people, but he refers to himself almost in, as the other disciple, the disciple that Jesus loved. He just won't name himself. So that's not uncommon. So that's one thing that tells us that it might be John. Uh, most think yes on that. Uh, but um, when, when, uh, when Jesus predicts you know, that, that Peter is going to deny him, this is also Jesus confirming what has been said about Jesus throughout prophecy is that he will suffer alone. He will be isolated away from his disciples during the suffering. He's made sure that nobody arrests them. Uh, he, Peter's denying him. Uh, John runs. We, we know all this, but now we think John is, is hanging around a little bit, but Peter is getting a little more distant. John uh, uh, also, they ask, why in the world could this, the, the, one, the people who don't think it's John, here, they take issue with this statement. How in the world can some fisherman be known by this former high priest, and how could some former fisherman be just let in to the court of a former high priest, and, and how can the servant girl, which shows it's not Caiaphas, because Caiaphas wouldn't have a servant girl, uh, but why would this person recognize a fisherman who, who works with, the, with this former high priest. Well, that's certainly a good point, and that makes some people think this could be just a Jerusalem disciple of Jesus that was in with the high priest, but 
there's not a lot to support that because they said in this culture another thing is that we know that John Zebedee, John and James' father Zebedee, had some wealth. He wasn't just a lowly fisherman. He had a pretty big operation. And, and you see this in Mark 1, 19 and 20, because it says that Zebedee also had some hired hands, which mean that, means that he had some, some wealth or some success as a fishing operation. And in Jewish culture, uh, it wasn't like Greek culture. In Greek culture, if you were royalty, you didn't have anything to do with common laborers. It really wasn't that way in the Jewish community. In Jewish culture, uh, the, the, the blue-collar workers and the rabbis uh, would have more relationship than, say, in the gr- Greek culture. As a matter of fact, most of the rabbis were expected to learn a trade, and, and we know that Paul was a, a journeyman uh, leather worker, uh, so that was not uncommon. So it was a little bit different. So it's not as far-fetched as it may look on the surface that a former high priest might know John's father, Zebedee, because he has a little wealth, uh, and then he would know John. Uh, so I wouldn't rule out in, uh, from the commentaries that I've read that this isn't John because he somehow had some kind. Of, he was recognized by the high priest. It's very possible and likely that it is John. And we know that John and Peter were very close, so it's likely that they would be together. So in my opinion, of course, that doesn't mean a whole lot, but in a lot of people's opinion that might hold more weight than mine, I think we're pointing that this is John, and he just happens to know this former high priest, maybe because of his father's uh, influence in the community. So anyway, so so when he goes in, uh, we we know that uh, that he's gonna gonna see uh, what's going on. You know, John's kind of trying to check out just how how bad this is going to be. Peter, on the other hand, is kind of starting to lay back a little bit. And then here it comes. Look at verse seventeen. Verse seventeen. Uh, the servant girl at the door said to Peter, because remember, John goes on in, Peter holds back, and so the servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I'm not. Now, you also can look at Mark 14, uh, verse 66 and 69 for this account as well. Uh, Mark 14, 66 and 69. Interesting to go read that, too, because remember, Mark's interviewing Peter about these historic events. She likely knew whomever the disciple was that gained access, and we think that's John. So the servant girl knows John is a follower of Jesus, okay, because she must know him in some way. And she's now assuming that Peter is one as well. And then, of course, Peter begins his descent uh, because he's he is the only one who has attached a uh, you know uh, to to the member of the party? So so the girl looks at him and says, "All right, we know this one guy going in is a follower of Jesus," and she must think that's kind of goofy because she says it in a very sarcastic way. And let me tell you this: Have you ever had anybody speak to you that way? I certainly have. What are you you and all this Jesus stuff? I mean, that's so outdated and archaic, and 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 so certainly you're you're you, it's antiquated. You believe Jesus? I mean, come on. And, and so you see this, um, as it started long before now. She says to him, listen to this sarcastic attitude, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? So here's the first time for Peter to say, well, yes, I am. But Peter says, I am not. And then let's look at uh, 18. Now the servants and officers made a charcoal fire, nice detail from John, because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also with them, standing and warming himself. So Peter's by the fire. It's a charcoal fire. 
and this is a detail that John gives us what kind of fire it is. You can find this also in Mark 14, verse 54, uh, Luke 22, verses 55 through 56. So this also suggests that John is the other disciple because he's telling us what kind of fire it is. He knows a lot about it as if it was an eyewitness account. So I think we can make a strong case this other disciple is John. Uh, that charcoal detail is, is quite a detail. Peter's there. Uh, evidence is now that it's at night, which is going to lead to this trial being illegal to begin with. Uh, and, and, of course, we, we also see uh, that uh, it's a courtyard and a private residence uh, which means it's not Caiaphas, it, it, it's honest. Peter would not have been uh, granted access uh, to any fire that was burning before the high priest. They had a, a chamber of immersion for the priest. This is just some charcoal fire that people are warming themselves by, and there's a servant girl there, and so's Peter. So we, 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 we feel real, real uh, confident that this is not Caiaphas. This is not a person with the ultimate authority. It's likely the courtyard and the private residence of the former high priest, honest. Okay, so then the high priest, look at nineteen, um, questioned Jesus about the disciples and his teaching, and uh, and and then you know this this just means that he wanted to ask two questions. I want to know about your teachings. Are you teaching heresy? I want to know about your disciples. Meaning, what kind of following do you have? Um, how how's the movement going? Uh, are you teaching apostasy? Are you leading people astray? Uh, and then Jesus answers him, but that's what the priest is wanting to know. In verse 20, he answers him. Jesus said, I have spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Uh, and then he says in 21, why do you ask me or uh, ask uh, those who have heard me uh, what I said to them? They know what I said. Now, Jesus said, I taught openly, meaning, well, you can ask many witnesses if you want to know what I'm teaching. Uh, it's not like I've held this from anybody. I've been teaching publicly. Uh, there's plenty of witnesses that confirm that I'm not teaching anything that isn't in Scripture. Uh, and uh, and he also says that um, um, you know you know I, I, you could the reason another reason why he's bringing up witnesses is important here. This is at night, and under Jewish uh, law, Jesus should not be under any kind of trial at all. As a matter of fact, he shouldn't even be being questioned. Because what they should be doing is taking the witnesses that have been following Jesus, and then they should be trying to vet them out according to the way it's supposed to be done to see if the witnesses have any credibility. And you see Jesus kind of, he's kind of, he's kind of moving to that, saying, hey, look, there's plenty of witnesses that have seen what I've done, uh, and they've heard what I've said. I, why aren't you talking to the witnesses as opposed to talking to me? Uh, and then he decides he does. He is just not going to answer his question at all about what he asked about the disciples. He leaves that unanswered and does not address that. But this is Jesus making the case that what you are doing to me is not the way it's supposed to be done. And so make a note of that as well. So let's look at 22. When he had said these things, one of the offers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is this how you answer the high priest? And then Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? This is Jesus making sure that we know he didn't do anything that should have brought that blow to the face. He doesn't back down when he's struck. He clarifies uh, that he is not getting, uh, you know, that he's getting an unfair trial. 
Uh, Jesus also was not guilty of saying anything derogatory to the high priest. What Jesus is talking about, and he says, hey, the things I'm saying are just factual, and if they're not factual, then, then tell me why they're not factual. Uh, he, he really had nothing to apologize for. Uh, he wasn't uh, violating. Uh, also, you know, some people say, well, I thought Jesus said to turn the other cheek, you know, and he's defending himself after he's been struck. Well, now, hang on a minute. Uh, we, we really got to unpack this, and there's a great quote from D.A. Carson, uh, which is one of the commentaries that, that I read uh, going through the Gospel of John, and it's really a good one. Uh, but, but turning the other cheek without bearing witness to the truth is not the fruit of moral resolution. That, listen, and we, need to, we need to learn this. This is what D.A. Carson said. He said, turning the other cheek without bearing witness to the truth, meaning we're, we're not supposed to just take anything all the time, uh, if, if that's not the, 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 the thing of turning the other cheek that Jesus talked about. He said, if you think that, that turning the other cheek is not bearing witness to the truth, that's not the fruit of some moral resolution. And I love this from D.A. Carson. He said, that is the terrorized cowardice of a wimp. If, you, if, if you're afraid to stand up for the truth, if you're afraid to stand up for Jesus and you try to hide yourself under the, well, you know, I don't need to make trouble. Uh, I, you know, I, you know, Jesus said, turn the other cheek. No, no, no. If somebody is, 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 you know, committing heresy against the one and only living God and we're standing up defending the truth of Jesus, the truth of the gospel, uh, you know, and not allowing anyone to blaspheme Jesus. Hey, there's not, that, that's not violating anything. And anybody who says otherwise, D.A. Carson says, that's somebody trying to act like they have some moral resolution when really they're just a coward. And I love that. So Jesus does stand up for the fact that he should not have been struck because he hasn't done anything wrong. Honest at this point, look at 24. Uh, Honest knows he's going nowhere with this. Uh, Honest then uh, sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Uh, He knows that... um, there's nothing he's getting out of this, so he sends him to Caiaphas. Caiaphas is the reigning high priest. Uh, he's the chairman of the Sanhedrin. In order to get Jesus before Pilate, Caiaphas is going to be the one that's going to have to bring the charge. So, and, and Honest knows this, so, so he sends him home. So 25, the second denial uh, of Peter. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself by the fire that we already know about. So they said to him, and look, this is a very interesting comical point that John points out. So they said to him, you also are not one of the, his disciples, are you? He denied it and said again, I am not, talking about Peter. And listen to this detail that only John adds, 26. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Only John adds this detail. Undoubtedly, some relative, I, I guess a cousin of the of the the servant of of uh, of the high priest that had his ear cut off, you know I don't know whether like the fire might have illuminated Peter's face a little more for a minute, but but the guy's relative said, "Hey, wait a minute, aren't you the guy who cut my cousin's ear off? I know you were with him. You cut my cousin's ear off." And uh, so uh, John adds this third witness that nobody else adds, and that's the relative of Malchus, and he's saying, "Look, you look an awful lot like the guy who cut my cousin's ear off." Uh, but anyway, uh, Peter in 27 uh, again denied it, uh, and at once the rooster crowed. So there is the denial of uh, of Jesus again. John is showing the uh, uh, the contrast here. Ooh, this is good. He's showing the contrast here between Jesus and Peter. Jesus is standing up for the truth, standing up for who he is. 
letting everyone know that he's in control, never denying who he is to try to save himself. And then Peter cowers and denies any association with Jesus. Think about that when we deny any association with Jesus, but yet he didn't deny any association with us. See, Jesus went to the cross for everybody, not just some people. And so Jesus stood before a holy father and says, I will die for them. And then we turn around and cower and we deny him. And let me tell you, it's pretty important. And Peter gets it right eventually. Praise the Lord for that. And if you, you haven't gotten right, you can get it right too. As long as you're still alive and taking air, you can get it right. But, but we don't need to forget that Jesus Christ himself said it's a pretty big deal whether we deny him or not. He says, anyone who does not acknowledge me before people, I will not acknowledge before the Father. Anyone who denies me before people, I will deny before the Father. It's a pretty big deal uh, whether we will stand up and, and not deny him. It's a really big deal, and he certainly didn't deny us. So moving on. So now Jesus is going to find his way before Pilate, um, and, and let's read uh, uh, the rest of, of what's going on. Um, and remember this, and, and I know I want to say this in 26 and 27. I, I talked about all this about the guy being there. But John does not go on. It's almost like he's having mercy for his friend. You know, there, we know in the other Gospels that, that Peter goes on uh, to swear and make oaths, and uh, and then and then of course you know the tears that roll down Peter's face when he hears the rooster crowing. John is showing us that Peter nor anyone else can follow Jesus. This is good until Jesus has died for him. This will not be Peter's final scene. G Peter thought he could follow Jesus without the gospel being completed. And I think some of us have that problem. We've tried to say, I'm going to get some sort of relationship with Jesus uh, without fully submitting to his authority, without fully repenting of my sin. This is the greatest week in the history of the world, but you cannot be redeemed if you are not willing to repent. And see, Peter thought he could follow Jesus without Jesus dying for him. He thought he could follow Jesus without Jesus having to defeat sin and defeat eternal death. It was impossible for Peter to follow Jesus until Jesus died for him. And the same is true of you, and the same is true of me. If you haven't done that, this, this is the week that we remember the greatest news of all time, even on the worst of days. You've been redeemed by Jesus. And if you have messed up and you, and you have denied him and, you, and you, you're in a place that doesn't look an awful lot like you've been redeemed by Jesus, you can be redeemed by him today. He won't deny you. He will not deny the repentant heart who submits his authority and says, I will take the redemption that you offer. I don't know how to love you, but teach me to love you. I know that you love me. Teach me how not to deny you. You didn't deny me. So now... We have Jesus going before Pilate. Then they led Jesus before the house of Caiaphas, I'm sorry, Caiaphas, then to Pilate, to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters, so they would not uh, be defiled 
uh, but could eat the Passover. Now, here we go. Here's the religious leaders. They're going to Pilate. They want to go to his headquarters, um, the headquarters of the commanding Roman officer. Uh, the normal headquarters for Pilate, a much nicer place I've been there, is in Caesarea in the place of, of, of the palace of Herod the Great. He had him in office there. But he uh, uh, and other officials came to Jerusalem for the high feast, and they did this a lot. Jewish leaders would not enter the dwelling of the Gentiles, uh, thus uh, you know, rendering themselves unclean. Well, isn't, it, isn't it interesting? These religious leaders, and this is why religion won't do you much good, they're trying so hard not, uh, not to be deemed unclean while at the same time trying to plan the death of Jesus. That's legalism for you, and if that's rituals, that's tradition. Uh, hey, we won't go into a Gentile's headquarters, the Roman officer, and defile ourselves. Well, why are you here? Oh, we're planning the death of Jesus. Yeah, so there's a lot of you out there, and you got all kinds of these righteous rituals, rituals and traditions, and you may even be going to church this Sunday because it's a tradition. But that tradition ain't going to save you at all. If you're still denying Jesus and you still don't belong to Jesus and you're still living in deliberate, perpetual sin, it doesn't matter how many rituals you get right including this Sunday. This Sunday will be packed by mainly cultural Christians. That lost people don't go to church that much on, on Easter, on Resurrection Day. It's usually cultural Christians that say, this is the second time I go to church this year. And I do that because I want to keep the traditions. Well, that's exactly what these religious leaders were doing. But at the same time, they were planning the death of Jesus. And does your life, does your life feature a denying Jesus and blaspheming Jesus? If it does, then these rituals are not going to mean a whole lot. And so um, they, they wanted to be sure that they were deemed still clean so they could eat the Passover meal. So thank goodness they got that done. So Pilate went outside to them, verse 29 now. What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, "If this man were not doing evil, would would uh, would 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 not have we would not have delivered him to you. We wouldn't be here if he had not done something wrong." Uh, so uh, they go into Pilate, the governor of Judea, appointed by the emperor Tiberius uh, in AD twenty six. He was hated by the Jewish citizens. He was known uh, to uh, uh, he loved to, to kick around his authority. Uh, he loved that, and uh, and they think due to the soldiers being with them. Uh, you know, that um, uh, they kind of thought this was going to be a done deal by Pilate. You know, they, took, they took those soldiers there. Remember the high priest and the Sanhedrin? They want them to see. They thought this was just going to be, you know, pushed on through uh, by Pilate. Uh, but Pilate uh, is giving them something they don't expect. He wants some clarity. So in verse 30, they don't expect this. And they say, look, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. They didn't expect to be questioned on this. They're saying, well, it's quite obvious. Uh, you need to go ahead and do what you got to do because we wouldn't have brought him here if we had not already vetted this thing out. Uh, but Pilate, look at 31. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And the Jews said to him, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. We've talked about this before. Once the Romans took over, only they could hand down capital punishment. Now, I know some people disagree with that and say, well, they stoned Stephen and we had this happen and all that. Well, most of that was just a mob out of control. Uh, stonings were a little bit different than crucifixion, and Jesus had already said he would not die by stoning. So remember, Jesus is in, con is in control the whole way. Uh, even Jesus is making sure that he is crucified by the Romans because that fulfills prophecy completely. So, uh, so anyway, uh, they, they let him know that they, look, we don't have the authority to do this. Um, and uh, and as, as we said in verse 32, John even 
says this. He said this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So let's uh, let's now get to thirty three. So so Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, "Are you the King of the Jews?" Uh, and Jesus answered him, uh, "Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say this to you about me?" Pilate answered, "Am I a Jew?" Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? So Jesus becomes now, which I love, and this is Jesus being in control again. He becomes the interrogator of Pilate. So, so where are you getting this question from about me being the king of the Jews? You come up with this on your own, or did somebody else say this about me? Uh, and, then, and then basically, uh, Pilate says, what, am I a Jew? Why do I care about whether you're the king of Jews or not? Um, they handed you over to me, so what have you done to get you in this situation? Uh, verse 36, Jesus answers, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I may not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Now, Jesus clarifies that his kingdom is not the kind of worldly kingdom that Pilate's afraid of, and this is going to take away the attempt by the Sanhedrin to convince Pilate that Jesus was a threat to him. My kingdom's not of this world. The way you're looking at me right now, that's incorrect. This is very interesting. He said, uh, and if I were that type of king, I was coming to, to overthrow you, then my servants wouldn't have uh, given in. We'd still be fighting. Uh, we wouldn't have given up so easily. Uh, his kingship is of, is, is of a different order. Jesus isn't saying his kingdom isn't active in the world. Don't misunderstand that. or has nothing to do with the world. It's like a, you know, a play um, in, in, on the in this world but not of this world. It's just not the earthly threat to Rome. Jesus isn't saying he's not a king, and, and he's not saying that his kingdom has nothing to do with the world at all. We do know it's here to redeem the world and eventually judge the world. But what he's saying is, I know what you mean by this, and it's not what you mean. That's what Jesus is saying. Then Pilate said to him in verse 37, so are you a king? And Jesus answered, you say that I am a, a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice, then Pilate says in 38, which we'll get to, what is truth. So let's talk about what Jesus is saying first in 37. Jesus acknowledges that he is a king, and but he's also acknowledging his sole purpose was to come to save the world by the truth. Now what's the truth? The truth of our sinfulness and God's holiness, and Jesus is the only way for us to be redeemed for that salvation that the truth clearly reveals. Jesus is the truth, and all who are redeemed are in that truth. What he's saying is, I'm here because the truth is this. I had to come because the world had to be redeemed. The world is sinful. I'm the only way to redeem it. And so those who acknowledge that truth will hear me. Those who keep denying that they need me to come, they won't hear me. Do you understand that? The truth he's talking about is the truth of our situation. We're doomed without the greatest week in the history of the world. And Jesus said, I came for the sole purpose. I came in the world to save it. And those that understand why I had to come and will repent and be redeemed, those will be in my truth. And then, of course, Pilate answers in 38 what so many people answer. What is truth? Jesus begins to pull Pilate to him. I love this. But Pilate abruptly stops with what is the truth, either because he thinks it can't be answered, or you know what it might be? The great word of the movie for uh, a few good men. 
It may be that Pilate can't handle the truth. Yeah, he could be being flippant, surely. He could be saying, oh, well, what is truth? I can't be answered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or it could be like so many of us, and I used to be this way. I didn't really want to hear the truth of the reality of where I was. I didn't really want to hear the truth that I was full of sin. I either didn't want to hear the truth about, maybe if you've never heard about it, what the gospel actually says, or maybe you're like me, a cultural Christian that doesn't want to hear the truth about your own cultural Christianity. <laughs> you don't want to hear the truth that maybe you're just as lost as you can be. Maybe Pilate didn't want to hear the truth, and he couldn't handle it. Didn't want to hear it. And I remember being that sinful person and people trying to help me, and I would mock them because I didn't want to hear it. Let's look at 38b. After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. Pilate understood enough of what Jesus said to grasp that he was not an earthly king, and that would lead to a revolt to overthrow Romans. You know what? Pilate vetted out. This guy's not a threat to me. I'm not going to fool with it. He's going to try to give it back to the Jewish leaders. He's answered my question. I find no guilt in him. Look at 39. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Now, what is he talking about? If Pilate had any integrity at all, it should be over right here. It should be done. But for whatever reason, to help these Jewish authorities save face or maybe to save his own skin, and there's a number of theories about this, maybe he was trying to embarrass the authorities before the crowd and, and uh, that, that he thought the crowd would, would, would call out for Jesus and that would embarrass the leaders. He sought the custom of the, uh, the season of the year. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? Since they hated this title, he probably said that again to mock them and maybe to antagonize the authorities. But I think if he has any integrity, he just ends it. But, but he also thinks this is going to be embarrassing because these people are going to choose Jesus. <laughs> but in 40, they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. And then John says Barabbas was a robber. A lot of research about Barabbas, and I've done a message about how many times we choose Barabbas, and I'm hurting on time, but I, that message can be found. I've done it in the past, but I will give you a little bit of this. Barabbas' full name is Jesus Barabbas. Did you know that? That was his full name. Uh, certainly, he stole and plundered, and we know that uh, because John says that. But Mark 15, 7, write that down. Mark 15, 7 said that he had also, Barabbas, Jesus Barabbas, had led a rebellion, that he was a zealot, and he murdered, attempting to overthrow Rome. So now Pilate is forced with the release of a man who actually was a threat to do what he just found out Jesus was a threat not to do. So Jesus had been falsely accused of wanting to overthrow Rome. Jesus Barabbas was guilty of trying to overthrow Rome so much that he'd murdered some of the Roman soldiers or some of their authority or people. But the crowd cries out for Jesus Barabbas, not Jesus of Nazareth. And see, I think that's where we got to land and end this week. You say, well, I would never choose Barabbas. I, I, wouldn't, I, would, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't choose Jesus Barabbas. Really? 
Well, every time that we choose sin over Jesus, I mean, like if Jesus says, I want you to be sexually pure, and then we turn around and say, no, I'm going to watch porn, or I'm going to flirt with this other woman, or I'm going to be a fornicator, I'm not married. Well, then when we do things like that, that's just one example, then we look at Jesus Barabbas and Jesus Christ, and we choose Jesus Barabbas. Oh, no, we choose Jesus Barabbas all the time. You know, when, when, when Jesus says, you know, uh, go into the world and, and go out and teach them what I've taught you and make disciples, and we go, ah, I'm not going to do that. I heard a guy last night say that he's not an evangelical Christian. What other kind of Christian is there? And if you say, I hear what you said about the greatest commandment, I hear what you told me to do, but I'm not doing it. Well, then you say, I don't want to hear Jesus Christ. I don't want him because he said go into the world and make disciples, so I'm going to choose Jesus Barabbas. Fill in the blank, and the list goes on and on and on. So the fact is that any time we choose another version of Jesus than the one that is real, and any time we reject the obedience that Jesus calls us to, that we've been talking about for weeks, if we reject Jesus Christ for who he is, the way, the truth, and the life, if we reject Jesus Christ and the things that he said to do, then we actually do choose, we do. We choose Jesus Barabbas over Jesus Christ. I guess we actually do choose Barabbas. But why don't we stop that? Why don't you today say, today's the day that I'm going to repent of my sin and I'm going to submit not to Jesus Barabbas, who lets me do whatever I want to. I'm going to submit to Jesus Christ. And as opposed to keep trying to make Jesus something I'm more comfortable with, submit to his transforming power on the greatest week in the history of the world and let Jesus make you into something that God's more comfortable with. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. I pray in the name of Jesus. Lord, please draw people to you right now. Thank you for what you did for us. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus right now, if there's a heart that, that has been pierced in this, in this audience, watching, listening, whatever the case may be, I pray, Lord, that you'll draw them to you. And right now, they'll say, I choose you, Jesus. I'm done with choosing Barabbas. I choose you, Jesus. I know that you died for me. Now help me to live for you. And right now, Lord Jesus, I repent of all sin. And I confess and acknowledge that you are Lord and I submit to your authority. And Lord Jesus, thank you for paying for my sin on the cross and defeating my eternal death when you walked out of the tomb. Save me, Jesus. What a wonderful time it would be on the greatest week in the history of the world for that to be the week that you wrote down that Jesus saved you. If I can help you in any way, rick at rickandbubba.com. Reach out to me. I'll walk with you. I'm nothing but another sinner saved by grace. We're all equal at the foot of the cross in equal need of redemption. Thank you. Hey, this is Rick, and that concludes this week's Bible study. Thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like to go back and hear other Bible studies or maybe some that you've missed even in this series, you can find them by clicking the media button at burgessministries.com.